the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Welcome to a Windy Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All we need you to do is to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You also can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands-free. You'll be safe and we'll love that as well. Tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I have the privilege tonight of teaching um, probably the cornerstone of all prophecy, Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Uh, we're doing that tonight. It is a, a magnificent passage of Scripture. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, it is, um, you just shake your head. It's an amazing, amazing a series of prophecies that tell, sort of tells the, the future of human history. And I always try to put myself in Daniel's position when he was getting this um, uh, vision and, and Gabriel, of course, coming to him with the the, the understanding of the vision. Uh, I can't even imagine what it was like. So I'm going to try to put myself in his place tonight. And I just feel so honored and privileged. Uh, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the program, the day day edition of the program. So especially ladies, that is a day for you. And we'd love to have you call. And I'm sure Paula's got some neat stuff she's preparing for us. Well, let's go to the phones while we are waiting. We've got Horatio from San Marcos on line one. Horatio, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Afternoon, Pastor. Uh, yesterday, we talked about the uh, what was in your heart. I was taught that when you got saved, the Lord came within you and, and lives there. You see, uh, in the New Testament, talks about the uh, when that person had the, they had the, had the demons in the in his body, they got took it out, and then he had to fill it in with something else. What did he fill it in with? And also, when the, the Lord says that uh, you send him the comforter, where did the comforter go to? I'll hang up and I'll wait for your answer on the radio. Thank you. Oh, okay, Horacio. Thank you very, very much. You know, um, I, I was talking with Paula just this morning about this very thing. Um, there, there are some things that if you touch on these things, people get upset because they just they, the, the image is so powerful. Christ in us. Uh, Paul says Christ in us, the hope of glory. But, but, but all I was saying, Horacio, is that it's not in physicality. 
Uh, I think we need to understand that the, the totality of our commitment to Christ means that we're submitting our life to him. And there are things that the Bible can't describe using human terms. So it uses human terms as best as uh, as able in order to help us understand that Jesus really is in us. He's with us, um, you know, in the same way when I say I'm walking with Jesus. Uh, it doesn't mean he's he's there physically with me. Um, but but he's there spiritually with me. And this is the same thing for Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, whether it's speaking of Jesus in my heart or the Holy Spirit given to us, the love of God poured out into our hearts. Uh, it's, it's not a, a physical transaction. It's a spiritual transaction. Um, you know, Jesus at best shares these human bodies with our sinful nature. Until we're going to be with him, Jesus shares our humanity. That's why Paul says, um, um, you know, I find this law at work. When I sin, it's not me who sins, but but sin living in me. And so sin lives in us too, but, but that's not physical either. So these are just expressions that are used in the word of God to communicate to us the nature of our relationship. And Horatio, for me personally, I love the fact that Jesus is with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. I love the fact that he promised his disciples, and by extension he promised us, that um, um, he would he would be in us uh, and with us, never leaving us or forsaking us. Uh, but we we got to understand the difference between the physical reality and the spiritual reality. The physical reality is that that there's nothing good in my flesh. And if there's nothing good in my flesh, that means Jesus couldn't be there physically. At the same time, what we need to understand is that because he's always with us and in us consuming us, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us to overcome anything and everything that happens. In in Romans chapter 7, I was just reading that this morning in my personal reading. Uh, Paul says, what I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I keep finding myself doing. And then he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is Jesus. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. And Horatio, when, when Jesus said he would be with us and he would be in us, it was a way to express the intimacy that we have, the power that is available to us, and the access to God the Father that he provides for us. But he is not in us in physicality, nor is the Holy Spirit in us in physicality, but they are always with us, spiritually and relationally. And I think that's really important for us to understand. Uh, It doesn't cheapen the relationship. It doesn't diminish it at all. It's just the power of God rests in us and is always with us. And we need to know that and appreciate that. So, Horatio, I hope that answers your question. And and for all of you there, and and, uh, I I told Paula I'm going to get some some kickback on this one. Uh, but but the fact that, that he's not in there physically running around in your heart uh, doesn't diminish at all the, the miraculous fact that Jesus is in us, he's with us, he will never leave us or forsake us, and we can call upon him at any single moment of any day. And he's promised never, ever to turn from us. So thank you very, very much for the question. Let's go to Reuben on line one from Seguin. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. I pray that you're doing well today, sir. I, I am, Reuben. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. Um, just two quick things, if 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 possible. Okay. Uh, number one, I just uh, uh, ask, I'm going to ask for some prayer. Uh, Tuesday, I started feeling uh, like weird. Like I don't know, my head started feeling dizzy, and you know, I would get up from bed and then. I would just feel like, you know, just weird. And then when I, as I walk, it's like my equilibrium uh, was out of whack. And then I just started praying and saying, Lord, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to deal with this. Not in a bad way, but 
I was like, Lord, I'm dealing with a lot of other things. You know, I don't know what this is, but it, it kept on from Tuesday, yesterday, and today. And, and, and so I just asked for prayer for that, if possible. And, and uh, second thing is, as I'm continuing to read in Mark, um, I'm reading it real slow. I got to 14 where uh, Jesus, uh, they went to go eat, and uh, this, this, this woman pours the alabaster box on, on his tongue. Uh, um, I thought it was his feet, but this particular uh, verse says that she did it on his head. And so my question is this. In verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 8, uh, no, verse 7, of course, because people got mad because she did that. Then Jesus told them, he said, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. And that is another story that I, I, God just spoke to me on that, about you will not always have me. But then this is the part that I want the question. I have a question. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now, that's a question I have. Uh, I want to say he was speaking prophetically because he knew he was going to die. But how did she know what to do? And uh, can you explain what that particular scripture means? Yeah, I, I can, Ruben. And this is one of the most remarkable um, stories. Uh, uh, Mary Bethany, one of the more remarkable New Testament characters who doesn't get a lot of credit. Um, uh, a couple of things. One, uh, we know that uh, Mary appears only three times in the pages of Scripture. And all three times we find her at the feet of Jesus. I think that's so significant. All three times we find her at the feet of Jesus. Um, um, in, good, in different situations, in good times and in bad times. In this particular case, she is demonstrating a spiritual insight that not even the disciples of Jesus had at this point. Um, Jesus had told them many times that he was going to die, and they simply hadn't comprehended that yet. But Mary got it. Mary of Bethany got it. And, and people say, well, where did she get this insight? And I think the answer, and I don't mean to sound spiritual here, but, but I think the answer is that she got this insight sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think when we take the time to sit with Jesus, when we take the time to hear from him, I think he's going to pour out um, spiritual direction, spiritual insight, discernment uh, all over us. I think uh, she understood the true heart of worship. You remember one of the times that we find her in Scripture, uh, Jesus had come to her in Martha's home. And Martha was busy about uh, doing all the things that she needed to do to, to, to serve her guest, Jesus, uh, taking care of the food and making sure the house was ready. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, uh, and Mary said, Lord, can you make her help me? And he said, Mary's chosen the better part. Martha, Martha, he said, and I use this all the time. Martha, Martha, you're troubled by many things. And then he said, Mary has chosen the better part. And I think what he was saying to Martha is that if you want answers, Martha, the place you get it is where Mary is, sitting at my feet. And of course, the next time we see Martha, she's uh, serving the Lord still, but she's doing it with the right heart and she's not troubled by many things. She's serving from a true heart of worship. So what's going on here is that the disciples are simply at this point refusing to believe that Jesus is going to die in spite of the fact that he's told them repeatedly that that's what, what's going to happen. And so when they come in and, and Mary comes in and, and, and this alabaster jar of perfume was worth a fortune. And uh, one of the other Gospels indicates that it was Judas who was sort of stirring up the problem. Judas, you know, was stealing from the money bag, and, and he was sort of the group treasurer. Uh, and he's the one that sort of incited the other disciples. And I think sometimes even as Christians, we'll get real spiritual. No, we shouldn't get paid. We should Everything should go to the poor. Um, but Jesus rebuked them. Um, they rebuked her. The twelve, Jesus rebuked them, the twelve, and says, she's done this beautiful thing for me. Now, I'm going to talk about two verses that you mentioned. In verse 7, he said, the poor you will always have with you, and that's true. 
And you can help them anytime you want. That's true for every one of us. But you will not always have me. And this should have really struck a chord in the, the heart of the disciples. Because at that moment, what they should have said, at least speaking to themselves, is, Jesus, you're, you really are going to die. You're going to be crucified. And they could have understood his mission. But Mary, who got it, she did what she could. God didn't ask her to do any more. She sacrificed her wealth, probably, Reuben, her dowry. She sacrificed her wealth, sacrificing her future, and she poured it all out over Jesus to prepare him for his burial. So he wasn't speaking prophetically. He was simply acknowledging the motive, the heart, behind what she was doing. Now, the other verse I want to talk about is the one you didn't mention in verse 9, where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if you have a King James, it's verily, verily. I like that better. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. We're doing that very thing now. Every time this story is spoken of, uh, we're fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus when he said that uh, whenever the gospel is preached, uh, what she's done will be told in memory of her. And we're doing that very thing right now. My point in all of this, Reuben, for you and for everybody listening, is that when we sit at the feet of Jesus, we're going to be able to do things and experience things that we never dreamed possible. God is going to use us in ways. He's going to give us insight and discernment in ways and in things that, that we would in no other way possibly possess. But sitting at the feet of Jesus, Bible open, letting the Spirit of God speak to you, letting him give you insight over passages that you meditate. I'm really grateful, Reuben, you said you were reading it very slow because that's, that's exactly what we need to do at times. And uh, when we sit it at his feet, that's when we're going to get the assignment, the, the uh, discernment, rather, to, to be able to, to deal with the difficulty of this world that we live in. So, Reuben, let me prescribe that. I'm not a doctor, but let me prescribe that for you. You're going through some physical things now, and you've had a lot of experience with that. Um, but uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus will give you peace and comfort in those things. And, uh, Reuben, I pray for you a lot, and I will continue to pray for you as well. Great questions. Thank you very, very much for them. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-5757. Here is an anonymous question from my email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. Your church is always available, and I love that. My question to you, what are your expectations of families going to church? Ideally, I would love to be there every Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday morning. However, with small children, it puts a strain on myself and my wife. Mainly, it's my wife who, ta- who it takes a toll on because she is fulfilling. And I love the way this man wrote this. He's got the F-U-L-L part of fulfilling. He's got it in full caps. Um, uh, because she's fulfilling her mommy duties as I go to church or work full-time. I feel bad when I go to church by myself and leave my wife at home with two small children. My wife and children love it when I get home from work and stay home with them. What is your advice and wisdom? Um, So much. I have so much, Anonymous. Thank you for very much of that. You know, the reason our church is open all the time, and we have Bible studies here, uh, three studies on Sunday, two more Sunday night, uh, a Spanish Bible study and a and a foundation study. Uh, we have a women's and men's and youth studies on Monday nights. Uh, we have our Bible study that I do on Wednesday night. And then on Friday night, we have a Bible study that I do as well. And the reason we have so many services and so many different Bible studies is because we realize that every, that people can't get here all the time. And I don't think... And I'm the pastor saying this, okay? I don't think anybody should be here all the time. I think we should be here when we can. I think we should be here with a heart to serve. And I am blessed and honored to serve a church uh, that has so many people with that heart. But nobody should try to be here all the time. I don't even require uh, my pastor's wives to be here all the time. I don't require our staff 
uh, to be here all the time. I want my 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 uh, people to be able to have time with their families. I want them to be able to develop that relationship uh, in the home as well. So um, um, th- this is a matter for prayer. Pray that God would give you the wisdom to know when to go. And, and I love that you would want to be here all the time. Um, but here's what you do. You stay home when you can, and you help your wife with the kids. This thing that we've done in our culture, you know, dads go out and work, rise, kill, and eat, God told Peter. Um, we, we think, well, that's what we do, so my job is done, and that's not true. Um, there's very little more attractive to a woman than a husband who is helping with the children and helping with the housework and helping organize things. And I think it's very important that you understand that. So go when you can. Go with your wife when you can. And understand that we have children's ministry every single service. And so bring your kids when it's possible to bring them. Now, we don't expect our teachers, for example, to be here on Wednesday nights when they've got kids who are going to be in school the next morning. So I just think it takes a little bit of common sense, but when you can be here and it fits into the family schedule, then do it. In the meantime, instead of coming on uh, every Monday and every Wednesday and every Friday and on on Sundays, I think what we do instead is we simply say, how can I help you? And let your wife be excited about coming to church as well. And so don't, don't feel like God is taking attendance at church. What God is doing is watching your life. He's watching your heart. And he wants you to be available to serve him. And sometimes serving him is best done in the home. Now, remember, we've got live stream services, and they're all archived almost instantly. And um, uh, there are other opportunities to, uh, to, to not miss out on the Bible studies. But please be sure that you're helping your wife. And that way, when you all go to church, you can do it with joy. Um, but, but there's times when you need to uh, go home and stay with them, um, reading them the Bible, raising your kids, um, then do that. Do that. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a little bit different. We've got we're less than about four minutes, I think, from this half of the program. So I'm going to take the rest of the time with this. That's how important I think it is. Um, I'm different than my pastors on staff. Um, my pastors are younger men. They have families. I, I think um, one, two, three, four, five of my pastors have four children. Maybe maybe one of those has five, um, and their kids are younger, and they're growing up. I don't want my pastors to miss their kids' lives. So here's what I want them to do. I want them to be here all the time, except for those times when being with their family is more important. I also think it's really important for husbands and wives to have a relationship that is on an equal level with their service to the Lord. And I think if a husband and a wife are in partnership, if they're in agreement that our lives are committed to him, then then I think that the, the husband then will be a good steward of that relationship by making sure that his wife is not feeling left out. There's always a balance. And whenever you get outside of that balance, I think that's when we give the enemy an opportunity. So you have to work full time. I mean, it's your job to provide for your families. Uh, I understand that. Um, but um, when you go to church by yourself and leave your wife at home and you feel bad about it, maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, you don't really need, you don't really need to be here tonight. How about you spend some time with your kids and, um, and, and open a Bible, tell them some stories, ask them what Jesus is doing in their heart. I promise you, I promise you God will honor that and respect it. And there's no more guilt, no more feeling bad. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that your home and when you come to church are both no guilt zones. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Eliminate the enemy's opportunity 
to mess with your mind and your heart. Uh, give to the Lord what you can, but remember that you've also got responsibilities. You're going to stand before him and give account of your relationship with him. I don't have those kids, so I can be here all the time, and pretty much I am. But I can't exclude Paula. That's why date day is so important uh, to us. It's it's just a time where we set that day apart, and we're together. It doesn't mean we're doing a bunch of things, but we're setting that day apart. And I've always wanted to set that example for my pastors with their families, because the pastor who abandons his family, um, for even for the right reasons, I'm serving the Lord, uh, is a pastor who's lost sight of his priorities. So I think that is really, really important. Um, so if you feel bad, just stay home. Maybe the easiest way to do it, you get home, you see your wife is looking tired. You just look at her and say, how about you rest? Maybe give her a gift certificate for a massage. Maybe tell her to go and, and take a warm bath or do something. And to say, you know what, I'll stay home tonight. And I'll hang out with the kids. I'll get them ready for bed and whatever else it is. I think that's the best advice and wisdom that I can give you. God bless you. Thank you. Hey, this is the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our program, 340-9585. I've got some heart-wrenching questions that have been sent in, so uh, I won't interrupt them unless we get people who call in. So let's start with this anonymous question. Uh, Hi, Pastor. I'm kind of embarrassed to ask this question, but since it's anonymous, I'll go ahead and ask. Uh, my wife and I are in a season in which the last 18 months, maybe due to COVID, uh, sexual intimacy is little and absent to me. Uh, when we get to the point of our alone time, she complains she's tired, she's not up to it, or quite frankly, she says I can be repulsive to her. If we do have sex, she makes comments like, just go or get yours, and will you leave me alone after we're done? We're in our mid-40s. I'm not expecting sex every day, but at least once a week is fair to me. My older Christian friends always tell me there's going to be less sex as you get older. Some of my 60-year-old friends even say, we don't even think about it anymore, and we're fine not having sex anymore. I suppose I need to change my mindset, and he says that in the form of a question. I understand that I don't look like I used to 20 years ago. However, it hurts me when she says that I'm not attractive like I used to be in the past. And in the heat of the moment, I've told her that she's no model either. I'm getting to that point where I'm starting to resent her. I love my wife. I know divorce is not an option, but I don't know how much longer I can go with this back and forth. On a side note, she's only a Sunday warrior, does not listen to your radio station. And so your wisdom will only be with me. Thank you, Pastor. Um, well, here's one of the things. Uh, let me just say at the beginning of this, um, th- this is why you need to go to your pastor or your pastors at your church, you and your wife. This is an issue that needs to be resolved. In your 40s, is certainly not a time to be dealing with this kind of sexual Uh, being deprived of of sexual satisfaction. It's simply not. It leaves uh, open um, uh, the enemy to attack and cause all kinds of difficulties. The fact that you're already starting to resent her um, uh, is is an indication that, that your marriage is in trouble and you're not headed on a good place. So Please, this is something, sit down with your wife. You're the head of the household. Sit down with your wife and say, we need counseling. We need counseling. Let's go to our church. Let's go to our pastors. And um, it's it's just something that can't wait. This is, this is at an emergency stage. Having said that, um, there's never any, no matter how you feel, no matter what's going on, 
There's never any rationalization for you um, getting angry and responding to her like, well, well, uh, when you said you've told her that she's no model either. Um, that doesn't help anything. Uh, I understand the frustration, but this is one of the one of the places where we've got to understand the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've got to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient. And your job, your responsibility is to treat your wife like she's the most beautiful, the most precious, most loved woman on the face of the earth. When you treat her like that, she's going to start acting like that. But let me deal with some of the questions and and, uh, some of the uh, so-called advice you get some from from some of your friends there's never a time in a marriage never a time in a marriage where sex isn't important i understand i'm 70 i understand that things change but there's never a time in a marriage where sex is not important that's intimacy it's oneness that can't be accomplished any other way paul writing to the church at corinth says to the wife your body's not your own, it belongs to your husband. To the husband, he says, your body's not your own, it belongs to the wife. And and what that means, and I always get a lot of heat when I say this, but biblically I'm telling you what's true, there's never a reason to say no when your spouse wants to have sex. There's never a reason to say no. Your body's not your own. And this whole mindset like she says, just go or just get yours or leave me alone when we're done. Uh, in your mid-40s, it's way, way too early to even be approaching that. Sex ought to be fun. It ought to be exciting. It ought to be passionate. Now, your reference to her, when uh, her saying um, that 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 she repulses her, that you repulse her, be sure that you're taking care of yourself, that you're clean, that you smell good. That kind of stuff is really important because if if you're not taking care of yourself, then why should she think you're attractive? We ought to go out of our way to put our best foot forward every day with our spouses. I can say a couple of things here, and I don't even know you. Uh, and, and apparently you don't come to our church, so that's um, uh, I, I don't know who you are. But but I can tell that you're not sitting down with your wife and praying. I can tell that you're not sitting with your wife and reading the Bible together. And when you pray with your wife, Anonymous, it's the most intimate thing a husband and a wife can do. And often when you take the time to pray, it often leads to the, most, the second most intimate thing a husband and a wife can do, and that's having sex. So take time with her. Sit down with an open Bible. You read to her. Let her read back to you. Talk about what you've read about. And then pray for one another. And let the Holy Spirit be invited into your marriage and into this sexual part of your marriage that's causing so much difficulty. But please, please, please get help from your pastor. Now, the one thing that I see as a potential problem is you said your wife's a Sunday warrior. Um, uh, I guess that means she only goes to church on Sunday. Sometimes that sounds like uh, a lack of commitment. Um, But if this is going to be resolved, it's got to be done God's way. If she won't go to counseling with you, with your pastors, then you go. But this isn't something that's just going to fix itself the enemy now has an opportunity to, to destroy things, and he is going to be relentless in his pursuit of destroying your marriage and destroying your Christian witness. So this is the thing where you and your wife have got to fall in love again. Remember what you did when you first won her heart and do those things again. Make sure that your mid-40s wife has enough help around the home that she's not on her own. Make sure that she's involved in the decisions in the home. But commit your home, your marriage to Jesus. You don't talk about kids. It's so important that if you do have kids, your children see that mom and dad really, truly are in love with each other and they're affectionate around one another. 
but please don't listen to your friends who are saying, well, we don't think about sex anymore. We're fine with not having sex. You don't need a, a change of mindset. What you need is a, a marriage. Husband and wife committed and submitted to Jesus Christ. So Anonymous, I hope that helps. I'm glad that you wrote in. Um, the word, the word, the word. Be in it. Be a distributor of it in your home. And let the Holy Spirit, working through his word, change your hearts and her mind. Make sure you're clean. Make sure you take care of yourself. And uh, never say anything unkind to her, like, well, you're no model either. Uh, Don't get frustrated. Hope that helps. And uh, this is one I really and truly will be praying for you. I don't say that lightly. Here is a question from... Julie, uh, hi, Pastor Ron. I thought I'd jump here on here and ask a question. It's been a while since I've listened to your radio show I, because I started working, but I was listening yesterday and you're talking about Jacob and Esau, and that prompted me to ask a question about my family. I have a daughter who recently got married, and her and her husband are living with us because they want to build a house. I must admit, my daughter and I have strong personalities, and so sometimes we bump heads. Three months ago, my husband and I agreed that our daughter and son-in-law can stay in the house until their house is built. They're projecting another 8 to 12 months of living with us. My husband, myself, and my son-in-law work full-time from home. My daughter is going to school full-time, and so she's either at home or starting school, which makes up most of her time. Now, I'm going to insert here because this means that there's a lot of people doing non-family-related things in the same home all the time. Now she continues. For the most part, they're always home. My problem is that they're always home. Sometimes we can argue about minor things. A week ago, we got in an argument because she tends to waste electricity and does not have that giving heart as I would like for her to have. I will admit I said some mean things to her. My husband reminds me that we agreed to pay for everything because that allows them to save more for their future home. My parents did the same thing for me and my husband. We're okay now. However, I think my daughter and I need to talk, but I feel like we're too emotional. I feel bad because I promised them that we will help them get their first house, and I don't think I can go back on my word. Our son-in-law is great and doesn't give us trouble. I do enjoy them being home, but sometimes I want to come home to my husband and be with him only. I don't want to tell them to leave, but what should I do? And then in parentheses, she says, my husband wants to help them as well. Again, there's a whole lot here. Uh, I want to first commend you on your generosity. I think this is wonderful. Your parents helped you and your husband uh, with a home, and I think repaying that to your children is a wonderful gift, a wonderful blessing. Now, having said that, there needs to be some ground rules in the home. It is your home, and you are paying for all of it, so she should not be permitted to waste electricity if, in fact, that bothers you. Now, even as I say that, I want you to be sure that wasting electricity is really the same thing. What's the difference in your bill? Is it just a few bucks or is it just something that you can find and pick on that, that, that is irritating you and you can focus on that one thing? I, you need to determine how big a problem, how real a problem it really is. So if it's just a few dollars that, that, that extra electricity is costing, uh, it's really not big a deal, probably not a, a, a hill to die on. So, so just make sure that you're really identifying the real issues. The other thing is, because you have strong personalities, you both argue. Um, Don't do it. It takes two people to argue. Just refuse to do it. You're representing Christ in your home, so refuse to do it. Now, as far as a meeting and talking, I think it's the most wonderful thing you could do. But I would suggest that's for the four of you to do. You, your husband, her and her husband. Sit down and explain the difficulties that you're having with this. Look, we're going to be together for another eight months, possibly even a year. And so here's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we all have some time in this house when we can be alone. There are times I want to come home and be alone with my husband, and I don't want to sacrifice that intimacy. So we need to be able to work this out and create some sort of a schedule which 
permits all of you to have a an evening at home alone uh or or a day in the in the house alone um j- just just to be sure the other thing and and I know I'm not trying to sound super spiritual here but the holy spirit can fix all this so I also think and this is what I would do uh, I would make sure that they're going to church I would make sure that we're having devotion times together as a family in the home, um, Bible studies, whatever, just your home, your rules. And uh, it's still a really good situation uh, for them because that's pretty cheap rent. So you can help them. And at the same time, you can help the family as a unit come together in Christ. And believe me, Jesus, working through the Holy Spirit, can really heal those wounds. But strong personalities, remember, your daughter, you're responsible, she's got your DNA. So sit down and make sure Jesus is at the center of your relationship as well. You know, the Bible talks about leaving and cleaving. And uh, I think, generally speaking, that is a wonderful thing. Uh, When we get married, we need to be on our own. Um, but but in this case, you've already promised help. You don't need to go back on your word. But at the same time, certain accommodations have to be made in the relationship or you're going to drive one another crazy. So please, please, please carefully consider uh, the counsel. Thank you very much. And also, I want to thank you for being um, generous. God loves generous people. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. John wants to ask. He's a question from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. As Christians, is it okay to follow actors and singers and athletes, basically world people, on our social media? Furthermore, also read and hear professing Christians like Justin Bieber, Kanye West, Selena Gomez, Denzel Washington, and many country singers and many more actors and singers still make worldly music and movies. Is it okay to follow professing singers, athletes, and actors? John, this is so far out of my element, uh, I don't know how to answer. Yes, it's okay to do that. There's no rule against it. There's no Bible verse that would, would suggest it's wrong to follow famous people on social media. But let me ask a question. Why in the world do you want to? Why do you want to follow people who at best their relationship with Christ is marginal? What possible information could they have? What can they provide for your life? You know, we're permitted to do things that aren't sinful, but but not all the things that we do are beneficial. They're not uh, helping our walk with the Lord. Why in the world would anybody want to follow these people? I got to tell you that the the people that you mentioned, I, I know very little about their walk with Jesus, other than what's reported in the mainstream media. But what do they have to offer to your life that you would follow them on social media? Again, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to pull the spiritual trump card, but honestly, John, we're we're only to follow Jesus. Nobody's ever been able to explain to me other than curiosity, which is sort of intellectual gossip, what do we get out of following people on social media? What could Selena Gomez add to my life? What could Kanye West add to my life? Uh, if they're believers, I want to I want to support them. I, I've actually prayed for Kanye West and Justin Bieber uh, because, you know, there are things that you see in the mainstream media. And then and you think, well, well, you know, he's acting like a believer. Praise the Lord, he's got a platform and he's saying these things. But then I read some things that would indicate they, they don't have any understanding of what following Christ means. So isn't it better to pay attention to our own walk with the Lord instead of following famous people? And I mean this, when I, when I ask this question, there's just what value is there? How much time, John, are you spending following people on social media compared to being in your Bible or compared to time in prayer? 
And I think that really is the answer to your question. Is it okay to follow actors, singers, and athletes, basically world people on your social media? If you are spending more time in prayer, spending more time in the Word, then yeah, I would say it's okay. But if you're not, if you're spending more time on social media than you are in prayer or in the Word, and especially in the Word, then it's not okay. And again, I have no, um, I just, this is something that is so far beyond me. I just, what these people have to say has no value in the life of a Christian. In 2021, in a time where the hour is drawing near for Jesus to come. I would much rather have you say, I'm, you know, I've been praying for Justin Bieber and Kanye West and Selena Gomez and Denzel Washington and the country singers. I've been praying for them. I say, good for you. But what value is there really in following them and their daily stuff? I, I just don't get it. So maybe Pastor Ken, the next time he fills in for me, he's a little bit younger and certainly a lot more social media savvy than I am. Um, maybe you can ask him and he would have a different perspective. But honestly, I just don't get it, John. Thank you very much. Melanie wants to know, Pastor Ron, is it okay to have non-Christian friends? I'm in high school and it would be hard to have only Christian friends. Melanie, of course, it's, it's, it's fine to have non-Christian friends. What wouldn't be fine, what would be a sign of trouble, is if those friends were influencing your walk with Jesus. So that's important. Uh, on the other hand, the fact that it's hard to have friends shouldn't surprise any Christian. Jesus said, on, on my account, because they hated me, people are going to hate you. And, and it's not anything that you did, but it's who you represent. And, and a lot of times, if a, a high schooler comes out publicly for Jesus Christ, um, that, that person is going to have a really difficult time uh, in, in dealing with um, um, the, the, the pushback that they're going to get. We need to expect that. But yeah, it's okay to have non-Christian friends. In fact, it's a good thing if you're sharing Jesus with them. Remember, if you really care for them, you want them to be in heaven. And so they should know completely that you're committed to Jesus Christ. And when they're doing things that are sinful... You need to say, well, you know, I can't do that now because Jesus is here with me and he wouldn't want me to be involved in that. But you've got to be able to take a stand for him and, and, and witness to them that way. That may cost you some of those non-Christian friends, but that's got to be okay. So, yeah, you should be available to everyone. But at the same time, just be honest enough to say, okay, when I'm hanging around non-Christian friends, how am I doing in representing Jesus? Am I compromising my witness? Am I being faithful to do what God would ask me to do? And if the answer is no, well, then you realize that you've got some apologies to make. Your non-Christian friends need to know who you are and with whom you stand, who the love of your life is, and his name is Jesus. And believe me, your witness will change their lives. So, Melanie, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. Probably the last question. Maybe uh, maybe I can squeeze in one more. But this one is from Sarah. She says, do good people go to hell just because they don't believe in Jesus? First of all, Sarah, there are no good people. I think part of our problem is the standard of measuring good uh, is is uh, is sort of out of balance. Good, there's only one good. And this comes from Jesus' mouth. Only God is good. And our idea of good is, well, he's a nice guy or she's a nice girl and, and, and um, you know, they're good people. They don't do bad things. Um, but the truth is that we're all separated from God by choice because of sin. So good people don't go to hell because they don't believe in Jesus. People, all people, will be sentenced to an eternity in hell because they don't believe in Jesus. Jesus is the only answer for sin. And since all sin separates us from God, 
that sin needs to be atoned for. Jesus, of course, accomplished that. But that gift has to be received by faith. And Sarah, every single person is accountable to God. Every single person will stand before him without excuse. We all know that we're missing something. We all know that we fall short of that standard of goodness. And Jesus says, well, that's why I died for your sins. So, yeah, some people that you and I would think are good people are going to spend eternity in hell because they refuse to believe in Jesus. Not because they can, it's because they won't. And the consequences of that is dying separated from Christ for eternity. So Sarah, the answer, Jesus said, He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And our job is to go tell people, those good people, the people you care about, go tell them that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Read your Bible, Sarah. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart because you have the answer for those so-called good people. You have the answer. The answer that we all need. So I hope that helps. Hey, tomorrow Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. Uh, We'd love to have your calls and questions uh, for her. Uh, Tonight, as I said at the beginning of the program, I had the privilege of teaching sort of the cornerstone of prophecy. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Pray for me. I don't want to mess it up. And uh, you will marvel at just how specific the Lord is in these prophecies. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 6.30 with Paul, or with (laughs) AM 6.30, the word, with Paula, and that'll be a blessing. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.